0: So, coming at it from a client perspective, and I've had clients say this to me: it just seems like so much work to hand this off. And you know, (laughs) I I, one of the courses I took through my my advisor's company that basically said, you know, do the quick calculation. It takes you forty five minutes to train somebody on this. It takes you thirty minutes to do it each uh, each month or week. And so that thirty minutes, or excuse me it takes two and a half hours to train someone 30 minutes to do it. Okay. So why would I spend as a business owner, two and a half hours to train somebody to do something that takes 30 minutes because you're doing it weekly and 30 minutes times 52 winds up being over 1500 minutes. Okay. (laughs) That's the reason why. So getting business owners to start looking at things like that, where you know, I don't know if I wanna hand this off, it's gonna take so much time to train somebody and they're not forward thinking about what productivity it's gonna give back to them. So that's part of the conversations that we have and it's part of the challenge that we have too because sometimes, sometimes they just don't get past that. They sometimes just don't.
1: Welcome to the Building to Scale podcast, where we bring real entrepreneur stories that showcase the challenges and successes in building and scaling an entrepreneurial business. Our host, Jeff Chastain, is a business transformation coach with Admentis, where he coaches business leaders and their teams with a proven set of principles and tools, helping them gain clarity in and get more of what they want from their business. Make sure to stick around until the end of the show and we will reveal how you can become our next guest.
2: Welcome, everybody. Jeff Chastain here with another episode of the Building to Scale podcast, where I just get the the opportunity really to talk with and hear stories from entrepreneurial business leaders. Uh, Today's guest is going to be a little bit different. Of course, I say that about just about everybody, but still, everybody's a little unique in their own story. But I've got uh, with me today, Denise Kagan out of uh, it's DCA Virtual Business Support, get that that one right there. But in working with virtual business support here, virtual kind of side, she's not only business leader, but also working with other entrepreneurial kind of business leaders. So we'll get to hear both sides of the coin here and probably plenty of experiences here. But Denise, first off, thanks for taking a bit of your day out today to come talk to us here. And thanks for joining the show.
0: Thank you, Jeff. I totally appreciate that. Um, Pleasure to be here with you today.
2: So always kind of jump in. Tell me a a little bit more about yourself, about your, your current role in the company, what you got going on these days.
0: Sure. So this is my third career. (laughs) Um, This company was started, we're celebrating 10 years this year, and my role is the president of the company. So as a small business owner, lots of things fall under my hat, business development, HR, hiring, training, leadership development. So all of those things are, are, are there. Uh, so that's my role in the company. The company in the simplest forms provides support for small businesses, usually six and seven figure in- businesses that are growing and scaling. They need to expand in some kind of way. So they need to outsource help either on our um, administrative side or on our creative side.
2: So I'm, I'm curious how obviously being third career and all, I, th- I think that at least one of them I was uh, in the corporate world. So how did we go from from corporate to entrepreneurial side? What's, what's your transition story there?
0: Okay. So I'm going to give you the short version. So <laughs> okay. I, I worked at a um, major manufacturing company, a very well-known, recognized name. I was in the QA department manager there, and I wanted to go into engineering. And I pretty much was told no and handed a community college catalog. I was like, you realize I have a degree, right? (laughs) In the interim, a year prior to that, I had started my first company while I was still working there. Okay. It was a cleaning company because it was easy to do. All right never no intentions of me being the cleaning woman however you know yes i did fill that role from time to time so i created the cleaning company it was a natural role for me because i had a sister who owned a commercial cleaning company for years so i also had a built-in mentor and so um it didn't require a lot of equity you know capital to start it up you know very very minimal in cost so i started the business up not from a franchise just jumping from my science background into here you are, you're a business owner. The thing is, is I was really good with operations. So it, operations and business running a business are very similar. Okay. Fast forward, I built the business, sold it in 2011. Okay. Then this company started on the heels of the cleaning company. And the premise behind it was in working for folks both in, because I provided both commercial and uh, commercial and uh, residential cleaning. The premise is that I saw what people were too busy to do and what they were willing to outsource. And so I created the company, the full legal name of the company's Denise Can Assist Inc. I started it with both professional assistance and personal assistance. And about two years in, I recognized, whoa, okay, this is the growth model. But that was okay because when I first started, I was like, I don't ever want employees again. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And and then I got to the point where I was like, okay, I've had my break from employees. I'm good. My entrepreneurial spirit just kicked in. I want to grow this thing. And so about two years into that, we started reformatting, rebranding, came up with the, the DCA virtual business support, which is literally just my legal name's initials. Um, nothing real clever there, but you know, it makes it more marketable for a service versus something that has my name in it. And so we started, we've had several iterations and evolutions over time where we've cast a very wide net of, okay, we can do this and we can do this and we can do this. And then said, put the brakes on. Yes. Let's pull it back in a little bit. Okay. We still have a very wide berth of things that we provide, but we've, We've categorized it into two separate areas where it makes most sense for us, and we've got a uh, team of eleven now plus myself, who those skills exist in, and so it's a really good match.
2: Yeah, it's that's interesting because it's. A lot of them, it's everybody's obviously got their own story and their own transition, but it's usually born out of the, the second career or the third career is born out of something that we've had trouble with in the first one, kind of a thing around where it's, it's we saw the need and went fixed it kind of a thing. Rarely is it just, hey, I want to go start a business and we'll figure out afterwards what we're actually going to do. It's, it's, there's typically a need or something there. And that's the almost the, the challenge I see more. And, and maybe it's the same kind of thing there that, yeah, you're going out to solve the need. And you said, yeah, you've got operational background. But OK, where does the sales and marketing or where does the the HR, where does the the finance kind of side come in? And that's where a lot of business owners don't necessarily have have those skill sets or things like that. And that's probably where obviously you're not covering all that, but that's where outsource kind of kind of resources and things like that come into play.
0: Oh, absolutely. Um, one of my first. um one of my first really uh, prominent learning lessons about outsourcing, not just outsourcing my our services to clients, but I screwed up my taxes <laughs> because <laughs> I did them myself. You know, I was, I started out, uh, this was with the cleaning company. I started out as a sole proprietor. Doing a sole proprietor and a Schedule C is pretty easy and straightforward. It's just an extra document where you, you know, track expenses, et cetera, and then wind up paying your portion of extra portion of the taxes. Yeah. That when it came to when I incorporated into an S corp, how taxes were done, how they needed to be filed were was totally different. I was using one of those softwares, I don't TurboTax, I don't remember what it was, but I was using one of those softwares and even though the questions were in there, I my understanding of them as a business owner wasn't what a CPA would have been, okay? Because I'm quite sure they use softwares for their stuff. But I didn't have that knowledge. So after the taxes came back and I wound up owing several thousand dollars, I was like, yeah, I'm not going to make that mistake again.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's one, especially on the tax side, the IRS likes getting its money. So yeah, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you don't, you don't, that that can be an uh, expensive oops right there on that side for sure. Other things not, maybe not so much, but yeah, that when you're dealing with the IRS, it's, you get that one right for sure.
0: Absolutely. And then, like you said, with the finances, um, Recently, within the last year, uh, I've hired a business advisor to help me with accurate forecasting, evaluating, you know, income opportunities, just to make sure I'm not straying too far off the path, because yes, I do that. And I think all business owners do. I I mean, I was approached this morning. And when I was recording one of my podcasts and they said, you know, we have an affiliate program. And I told him, you know, that sounds great. But most of the time I just refer people because it gets the waters a little too murky if we have, well, we do this, but then we have this and then we have this and then we have that. Yeah. So, um, yeah. <laughs>
2: Well, if nothing else, it goes back to the the finding your niche and finding your focus that you kind of always already talked about about not doing everything. And because I, I get them as well that from a coach, well, you coach in this area, come to our program for this area and this program. It's like, no, my, my focus is in this lane. I'm not doing not doing everything. I'm not trying to be the the one all be all end all kind of a thing there. So I I get that for sure. Absolutely. So I'm curious, and granted you've done it a couple of times now, but what was the transition from solopreneur, single owner to now having 10, 11 kind of employees was that, so you probably had, I would guess more challenges around the first time you probably had a, a few more lessons learned that you could bring into this company, but what, what kind of challenges or what, what was that path like?
0: So the first company with the cleaning company, I actually started it with an employee because the intention was never for me to be the cleaning woman. Um, and which is why the first year that overlapped with the corporation that I worked at, there was, I, I didn't, I didn't generate any income, but to me, that felt like a win because everything I had read was like, oh, you lose money in your first three years, five years, whatever. I was like, okay, that's a win. I didn't lose anything. (laughs) Here I am working a full-time job and I didn't lose, which was my expectation. So one of the things, you know, with a cleaning company it being a solopreneur, working out of my home, which is how a lot of small businesses start up, the biggest challenge was, okay, I have to interview people. Where do I interview them? And think this is like 10 years or more ago. This was not related to COVID. Okay. So, so where do I, where do I interview people? And we were meeting people at coffee shops and McDonald's and just to try to interview them because I had no office space about halfway through that company five years in, we, we rented an office space. Cause I was like, you know, this is ridiculous. We don't have a professional front you know, I'm meeting people at McDonald's, don't know who they are. Um, I have some interesting stories there, which we probably for another time. Uh, but it, it just wasn't it wasn't working. I was doing a lot of running around. So we switched that and um, actually made people come into the office and fill out applications. OK, so this is a role that's not a professional role. In order for people to show interest, I totally cut off you know applications via the website. Um, because if they did not come into the office to fill it out, then I knew they, tr- they were just sending stuff out and not serious. So that was one of my biggest challenges was finding the right staff that's serious, interviewing them in the right place as I transitioned from solopreneur, working out of my home and into an office. So that was, that was really one of my biggest challenge. And I think for a lot of business owners, finding the right people for the right position is always a challenge. I i am um, reading a book right now called Start With, uh, not Start With Why, I'm reading that one too, but it's called Who. <laughs> ah, <yep. laughs> and it, it talks about the right people in the right place and the timing. So what was right for me as, as a startup or even two years in when we transitioned out of being, um, providing that personal assistance is different than what I need right now. Very, very different. And we're talking about that amongst our leadership and saying, you know, hey, where's your sweet spot? Let's make sure we're working you there. Okay. And then we'll go from there. And fortunately, we've been really fortunate that we have not had any, but that we've determined, hey, there's not enough sweet spots that you need to stay here. (laughs) Um, We've been very fortunate with that. But that's kind of, you know, that evolution of, you know, hiring How to hire, where to hire, professionalism, making sure they're actually interested and then putting them in the right places.
2: Yeah, Uh, that's honestly, I I do a lot of focus with that on the people side is almost all issues that business owners typically face. Once you start diving down into it, there's a people component of it kind of a thing there. If you're not making enough profit, well, is your team not executing properly? Do you not have enough resources? Do you not have the right resources, et cetera? There's, There's almost always some kind of people side to it. But yeah, talking about the skills fit and everything, because I, I think it's Simon Sinek is the the Who book.
0: It is. Yes. Okay,
2: Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that one. But it's. Um, oh, no, I'm sorry. That's the Why book. Start with Why. Simon Sinek. Yes. I forget who the Who, who book is. I've, I've seen it as well. But yeah, I have to go look that one up. But yeah, the. Um, I just lost where I was going with I'm so sorry. No, no. Oh, the the other side of it, though, from a a skills perspective is a lot of times with the growing company like that, you've got the person in early on that knows enough. They can can do the part-time books or whatever kind of a thing there. And then once you start growing that company up, all of a sudden you need effectively the accountant or the CPA type person doing the books, managing it, and it's exceeded their skill set there. So that's that's the other challenge of that is saying, okay, what happens when the company, yes, we hired you to do A, now we need you to do something bigger. Your job, your role, et cetera, has increased. And if they're not capable of, of increasing with that, can you move them somewhere else where there is a sweet spot or else have to train or whatever else? But but yeah, it's, it's always a challenge because the, the people that you hire originally may not necessarily be the people you hire or need to hire 10 years, 15 years down the road after, after the growth.
0: Yeah, I agree. And reading that book, I mean, I guess I always knew it, but sometimes when you read books, do courses, whatever, it kind of pounds it back in going, Hey, you knew that, but you're not doing it. Yeah, <laughs> And that's, that's really somewhat what happened when I started reading the book who
2: yeah, well, oh, it's always a good reminder. And if nothing else, it's a it's a different approach or a different take on it, kind of a thing. Even if it's just written slightly different language, it might cause you to think about it a little bit more. So, yeah, it's, I'm always a always a proponent of, of reading. And there's so many. The problem I almost see today is that there's so much information out there. It's like, okay, where do I start? And where do I start piecing all this back together to do my way, my system, kind of a thing there. So that's it's almost more a challenge of too much information than than not enough. I would agree. So I'm curious with looking at your business model, et cetera, versus the uh, placing obviously virtual support. obviously, there's reason for for having outsourced virtual support kind of a thing. I, I look at it as growing small businesses kind of a thing. A lot of times we don't have we don't have the revenue, we don't have the resources, et cetera, to hire a full-time assistant or we don't have the resources to hire a full-time person, whereas a virtual support kind of a thing can fill that gap or fill that that intermediate kind of a thing going there. So I'm curious what, what's your value proposition is there for placing those kind of resources and how that's how that interaction typically works with a, a business owner for them to kind of realize, okay, I do need some support and I can't afford to hire full time. So therefore looking at virtual what, what that looks like.
0: Sure thing. So, you know, one of the things I do is I talk to business owners about what their needs are. Um, And they're often surprised to find out, Hey, you've got all these creative things under the same roof as this. That's kind of cool. Uh, A lot of the business owners we work with prefer a contractor model. That's just where they are and that's what they like. Um, But we do have some that we know in advance, the intention is that they're going to hire for that. So we help them document procedures as well. Now, one of the things that I do, um, so you talk about value proposition. Let me me start there. The value proposition is this. We have a US-based team. We, as far as marketing content, language, we, we're we good there, okay? Um, everything is the way you would expect it for a U.S.-based company. We work across the country, and we have, unlike hiring a freelancer, which you could absolutely do, we manage our team. They are not contractors to me. They are employees, okay? Uh, We manage our team, we do QA, you have a project manager. If you hire us to be your executive assistant, there is at least one more person involved in your account, and that person would be looking over your account, making sure our team member is doing what they're supposed to be doing. Also helping cover vacation coverage, maternity leave, You know, somebody gets sick, whatever. So we do come from a team approach, which is something that is unique to, say, going to Upwork or Fiverr and hiring somebody, you may get a much better price point. However, you don't get a manager and you don't get team coverage. And that is absolutely what we provide that's very different than those companies. Um, We also have a very wide skill set. As I mentioned, you know, with 11 employees, we've developed it. So these two specific areas that we work in, the creative and the, the administrative, that the things that we offer are things that we are very good at doing. Content creation, we're very good at doing it. WordPress websites, we are very good at doing it. If you ask us to do a live video for you, we might not do that because that's not in our lane. We, we we have a few things that we could offer you, but we also have partners we can refer you to.
2: Yeah. Well, I'm curious. So without naming any names or anything, if you were to go engage in a, with a business owner, what's the what's the ideal picture there in terms of how that engagement works, what the business owner already has. I know you already mentioned processes and stuff like that, but what's, if you were to walk in to say, Hey, this is the perfect client. This is the perfect business. What what does that kind of look like in your mind or from, from the the employment placement kind of side?
0: Okay. So as far as the perfect client for us, it is somebody who a is not afraid of technology. Okay. That could be a hiccup for us because everything we do is virtual. We're not going into your office. We were that before COVID. That was, that's our business model. Okay. Um, So they have to be okay with technology and it's okay if they don't understand it. They just have to be okay with it being utilized to get done the things they need to get done. Um, The second thing is they have to understand that they do have to delegate stuff. If they are not comfortable with delegation, that's not a perfect client for us because We have to work so hard at pulling that information out of them. And a lot of times it just frustrates both parties. Um, We've identified a few different types of clients that don't work well with us. One is, you know, if, if there are some people that prefer to work with that contractor, like, the Elance, not Elance anymore, Upwork (laughs) or Fiverr, where they prefer that one-on-one and not having anybody else in the mix, okay? Because we do have that level of management there, that's not an ideal client for us, okay? We have identified that. We've also identified, you know, a few industries that aren't right fits for us, Um, But generally speaking, they come to us, they have a a list of things. Sometimes they come to us and they don't know what they need, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, And and what I do is I say, hey, create three lists for me. First list is your highly repetitive items that once we take them off your list, we can focus on list two and three. Okay, because those are the easiest to delegate. The second list is the one when you grind your teeth when you think about doing it. And the third list is, hey, this might be better served by somebody else. It would free up some time. Or maybe I'm just not that good at this kind of thing. So that's what I tell our business owners. If they don't know, when I put it that way, things start coming to their mind.
2: Yeah. No, it's, it's actually a, a tool I use really even even within internal businesses kind of a thing. It's it's love versus loathe kind of thing. It's like, okay, what do I really mm-hmm. love doing and I'm really good at versus on the opposite end of the spectrum? What do I hate doing? What do I, I'm not good at, et cetera, kind of a thing there and looking to delegate to push that stuff down to even your own internal team, whether it's internal or, external right. or outsource kind of a thing there, but yeah, helping to identify that because- too often, especially as business owners, kind of a thing. You made the comment very early on that you're wearing all the hats, and those hats keep changing, keep moving. Hey, something new's come up. I'm gonna pick that one up, kind of a thing. And before you know it, you're buried again. So it's like you even as a business owner, you've got to almost reevaluate that on a quarterly something basis to say, okay, really take the time, write down what everything I'm doing, kind of a thing. Because a lot of times you don't even really realize it right now. Is okay, all that stuff that's on your plate, and then look at at the delegation side, either internal or, or an external resource, kind of thing like that.
0: Yeah, I actually evaluate that about monthly um, because I look at metrics as far as, okay, how much internal time are we spending? Because clearly that's non-billable. Um, so we have percentages that we're supposed to be under. And, you know, when I look at this, I'm like, okay, we I have some leeway to hand some stuff off. Uh, and so whenever I can, I do. I'm a big fan of that as long as it's done correctly. And, you know, this is something that we guide our team on, uh, whether it's internal or external.
2: So what's because I know delegation is obviously key to getting beyond especially that one person kind of company to move on, but even still at bigger levels as well. What's some of the challenges that you think of either personally or with some of your clients kind of a thing as to why delegation is not working or why is it why is it so hard kind of a thing to go hand some of that stuff off?
0: So, coming at it from a client perspective, and I've had clients say this to me: it just seems like so much work to hand this off. And you know, it, I, I one of the courses I took through my my advisor's company that basically said, you know, do the quick calculation. It takes you forty five minutes to train somebody on this. It takes you thirty minutes to do it each uh, each month or week. And so that thirty minutes, or excuse me. It takes two and a half hours to train someone, 30 minutes to do it, okay? So why would I spend, as a business owner, two and a half hours to train somebody to do something that takes 30 minutes? Because you're doing it weekly, and 30 minutes times 52 winds up being over 1,500 minutes, okay? that's the reason why. So getting business owners to start looking at things like that, where, you know, I don't know if I want to hand this off. It's going to take so much time to train somebody and they're not forward thinking about what productivity it's going to give back to them. So that's part of the conversations that we have. And it's part of the challenge that we have too, because sometimes, sometimes they just don't get past that. They sometimes just don't. Um, So I'd say that's probably the biggest one. The second biggest would be communication. Um, as business owners, we hold so much stuff in our head. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Trying to get that out to someone uh, in a written form is much more of a challenge, of course. Conversation is much better. So we, we coach our team also. It's like, hey, if you've done two or three emails back and it's not making sense, pick up the phone and call them, okay? Because there's something that's being missed here that they think they're communicating really well. We're going, huh?
2: <laughs> yeah. No, and that's I, I see that one because you even mentioned process and stuff like that. To me, it's the the other side that okay, once you do get over the hurdle of okay, we're going to document this, we're going to hand it out, then it's a question as to the how to document and how to go go through that process. And a lot of people, unless you're just that 1% that loves documentation and loves writing this stuff out, that in and of itself is just that much more of a, a challenge right there, a road barrier to say, okay, how do I get this out onto paper and then in such a manner that somebody else is willing to read in the first place and is able to actually make something useful. So it's it's one of those that I always look at it, it's it's the the 2080 rule that applies to virtually everything kind of thing. But it's like, okay, hit the hit the high points. You don't need to sit there and tell your assistant or whatever exactly how to do every little minute detail, but hit the high points that these are the ones that we really care about from this process. Let them have the freedom or the the bring their own knowledge, their own expertise to the table to say, okay. I know a faster way to get from A to B than you may. And I don't necessarily need to follow all the minute steps right there to go from A to B, as long as we go from A to B kind of a thing there. So I'm curious what's your, how you approach those processes or get those turned into, into processes.
0: Yeah. I had this conversation with somebody yesterday. It was a networking call that wound up turning into a sales call. No intention of that. It just happened. Um, so what, um, What we discussed was she was talking through a process, you know, she does a um, web show and she does interviews with high level VIPs from associations. And as we were talking through this, I was like, well, do you have a written process? Do you have a procedure? She goes, not really. (laughs) (laughs) She goes, I know what, right. I know what to do and we do it. But as a business owner, she goes, most of it's falling on me. And so it's not getting done well. So we talked about, hey, you know, would you be open to us writing down at least a bullet point list of steps? You know, if you decide to hire somebody internally, that will help facilitate that. You know, if we have somebody in our company that changes while you're utilizing us, then they can go, it's a repeatable process then. Okay. So we we recommend writing those. We'll do it as As far as the procedure documentation, we'll do it as detailed as the client wants, okay? Some clients very much want it step by step by step. They're usually getting ready to sell their businesses, is my understanding, um, because it adds value, okay? It's a very clear cut when you're very precise on the steps. Some clients are very much like, nope, just give me bullet points, and you guys have the freedom to do it how you want to do it. Okay, we can work with that too. So we actually provide a good bit of flexibility there.
2: Yeah. And and I can see it for sure being on the the sales side cuz like you said you want everything tidy and documented and, and tightened up at that point. But yeah, it's it's I was talking with a guest oh, a while back or whatever that actually ran a, a creative design marketing agency kind of a thing, but she was saying, yeah, the the introduction of process, the introduction of automation still actually freed up a lot of that creative time for our people because they were getting a lot of the administrative stuff off their plate. So it was actually still a good balance because that's where I get a lot of people kind of look at it like, I don't want to do all these rigid processes because that takes the creativity away from my team. And it's really not necessarily that case if it's if it's done right, I would say. But yeah, the the detail processes, especially for the sales side, come into play for sure.
0: And you just said something about automation that makes me think So that's an area that we also work in to some degree in programs that we're we're very comfortable with. We wouldn't do it in every, but um, so some clients when we're working in their CRM or recently I did this actually for my HR system. it's, It's an automation that frees up the time of manual tasks like, hey, schedule a call. Here's my link that email no longer needs to be sent manually okay so it's not taken away from any of the human touch points but it is putting in place, you know, those things that can go out automated. And it really is saving our time, a lot of time for our team, which I really enjoy. So, And we do some of that for our clients also, if they want to set up like an email management system with a drip campaign of eight emails or whatever, we can do that as well. And, and that's the area that we would focus in more rather than CRMs because we have a, a limited ones that we work with, but we also have partners that we can refer them out to for that as well.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of, I think if I, uh, memory serves me correctly, what she was talking about was some of the email stuff, but even saying, okay, did we get the contract signed? Did it advancing your workflow kind of a thing? So if you've uh-huh. got the workflow in place, it just takes a lot of that, that drudgery work kind of out of it and make it sure is. it's done right every time, make sure that all the steps are followed. We actually did went through the process that we talked about kind of a thing there, even though, yeah, there's, there's still a lot of a human touch points with it. So for sure.
0: Yeah. And I would say workflow is a good way to describe what we do. We can set up workflows when it gets into literally programming it. That would not be something we would do.
2: <laughs> well, the, the benefit is there's a lot of tools out there these days that don't require a programmer to do it anymore. But That's yeah, That's true. That's true. So I'm curious what you what you see as the future really from a obviously now being semi post pandemic and but at the same time, people have gotten really introduced well to the the whole remote work concept and stuff like that. I'm curious what you kind of see the the future of your business and the future of virtual assistants looking like. Is this something that you're looking to grow and scale it or or what do you, what are you, what are you looking at for, for your side? What do you think the future is looking like?
0: So we are definitely looking to grow and scale. Um, As far as virtual businesses, it kind of goes along with virtual events and virtual networking. It's not going anywhere, you know, we're, we're talking about post pandemic. Guess what? COVID is like the flu. The flu still exists. Okay. It is, it is not going anywhere, although it has the potential to be tamed like the flu was. So those things are, they're not going to go anywhere now. Will they be used to the same degree, um, prior to the pandemic? Maybe I'm not convinced yet that, um, people are gonna change back so quickly. I think a lot of businesses have seen the benefit of a virtual and remote workforce. Now there's some drawbacks too, you know, especially if you had to do a quick transition. Uh, but for me, it's been that way the whole time. So there was no transition for us. There were some challenges, though not a transition. Um, and the challenge was employees who normally have kids in school for five hours, now all of a sudden are homeschooling. Um, so we'll see if that alleviates after after the pandemic is no longer pandemic status. Yeah. So yeah, I don't I don't see the utilize utilization of a remote workforce or outsourced solutions like VA or outsourced bookkeepers or, or marketing arms. Um, I, I don't see that going away.
2: Yeah, I, I I would almost expect the other way as well. Kind of a thing that people are more comfortable with it now. I don't have to hire somebody right here next to me to come sit in the cube right here next to me, kind of a thing there. And to me, it's, it's definitely got the challenges that you're talking about, but at the same time it opens up more opportunities that I'm not limited geography wise to people that are willing to move here or that live here. Kind of a thing I can go higher across the company country or a company like yours or something like that and get the resources that I need. Just ha- it's, it's a bigger talent pool, honestly, at that point. So it's, it's, it's a lot more free. The-
0: yeah. It's a bigger talent pool. It's a bigger market. Um, there's a lot of efficiencies being not having to drive 45 minutes to appointments. Um, and don't get me wrong. I like meeting people in person, but I'm also very, very comfortable being on zoom, which is what I was using before COVID was a word.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's it definitely is that, but it's definitely gotten, I, I, I still dealt with a lot of companies that weren't comfortable doing that. And this kind of forced their hand and they're actually kind of reevaluating now. So it's, it'll be, I expect there will be some pullback from the, the where we are, but at the same time, I don't expect us to go back where we were for sure because I think it does a lot more, lot more accepted now.
0: Yeah, it's it's been a permanent change to to culture, society, and business.
2: So I always like kind of wrapping up at the end or coming back at the end just to say, hey, if, if you were to look back ten years, fifteen years, whatever the the time frame was on on starting or building the business, and say, hey, based upon lessons learned that we've done over time might've tried something a little bit differently or done something a little bit earlier kind of a thing. Does any one or two things jump to mind?
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So um, some of these things were um, discovered as I went through the Goldman Sachs 10,000 small business programs. So I'm an alumni I went through in 2019. It is an amazing program. Think of it as like a MBA on steroids, but your capstone project is all about your business. So I, I would have got someone to coach me early on about pitching my business. Okay. I would have got someone early on to coach me on financials, which was definitely, I mean, I can pull a report and I can look at it, but I don't necessarily know what the numbers are mean. If it's negative and negative in my bank account, I know what that means. (laughs)
2: <laughs> but it's a little too late.
0: <laughs> right, right. You know, you want to see these numbers and trends and get an idea of, of what they mean. Uh, and I'm good with numbers. It's just financials, for some reason, intimidated me. So I would have got somebody to coach me through those financials. Uh, we had that year I graduated from Goldman Sachs. We finished in the negatives, like by thousands. And it was really quite scary. Last year we lessened that, there was still a little bit of a negative, okay? And you know, I told my team, I said, look, there's lots of things going on. A, I'm paying myself the same wage I'm paying you, I can't run a business like that, okay? B, um, we're finishing in the negative, we can't operate in the negative. So the advisor that I started working with is the one that put all those KPIs into place, like, hey, this is your non-billable time, I can't go over that percentage. So that we're operating in in a way that makes you profitable, because who want what business owner wants to operate a business that's not profitable? That's a lot of stress. That's yeah. a lot of stress. Even if you're pulling a paycheck, and like I said, my paycheck was basically on par with what my highest paid employee was, and that I, and I know I was doing far more work than that. So getting me to a point where I feel satisfied with what I'm able to make in the business as the owner. And so it correlates with my, my personal goals as well. I would have, if I could have done it over, I would have got that person in place so much so sooner to help cultivate me in the areas where I'm the weakest, which was financial.
2: Yeah. No, I've, I've heard that from a lot of people and I, I try not to make it self serving, but yeah, having that outside, that outside opinion, that outside coach that, has been there before, has, knows that, that path. My, my, my analogy is the climb up the mountain, kind of a thing there to reach, reach your goal, but still it's, they know that path. They've been there before. And basically if nothing else can ask you the stupid question to say, Hey, why are you doing things that way? Because so often as business owners, we kind of get the blinders on of, this is where we are. This is where we're going. And you don't think about other alternatives or other things out there or have the other expertise there. So yeah, it's, it's, I hear that one quite, quite often kind of thing of just saying, yeah, earlier would have saved a lot of time, probably would have saved some money, et cetera, of making that investment earlier on kind of a thing there.
0: Right. And, and it's, it's not a light investment. I mean, I don't mind sharing, but I, it's like $1,600 a month for my advisor. And yes, there were less expensive ones out there. And I interviewed a few, they were not what I needed. I needed somebody to really hone in on those financials. And I knew that's what I needed.
2: Yeah. No, and it makes perfect sense. Yeah, it's it's not, it, it, to me, it goes back to the, the whole delegation type thing that you're talking about. About Yeah, it, it takes me 30 minutes or whatever, or you it take two and a half hours to sit here and train somebody kind of a thing. But if you look at the longer term picture, the longer term 30 minutes every week when you do it, it, it can save you big over the long term kind of a thing of simple things with taxes or simple things mm-hmm. with numbers. We're just, if nothing else, you know the numbers up ahead of time because it's I still see people that, yeah, we got money in the bank account. It's like, that's that's a lagging interca- indicator. That's way too late at that point. You don't, you got to look at accounts receivable and stuff like that. That's what's coming in, not necessarily just where you are right now. So being able to make those calls and those numbers, those judgments for hiring a new person or whatever, okay, we really do have longer term revenue, not just money in the bank today.
0: And seeing how that's going to impact your bottom line. Yeah, I told the and this, these are the things that that we work on. Uh, and that are very important. And I encourage every business owner, if they don't have somebody helping them guide there, and they don't know how to do that themselves. I mean, if you're a CPA, you probably know how to do it. But most of us are not. (laughs) (laughs) I am not.
2: Yeah, Uh, that's, that's really the thing is that most of us, even like your story, we get into business, because we're looking to solve an issue, or we've got a passion or something there. And there's a lot more to business than just our passion, most of the time kind of a thing there. So it's, it's everything, like I said, all the way from sales and marketing on one end to finance on the other, and there's a whole spectrum in there. That most of the time we've got a a little narrow patch that we're 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 good at, but yeah, there's a lot more to it than that. Agreed, wholeheartedly. So I appreciate the time. Um, if people want to learn more about uh, DCA Virtual Services, what's the the best resource to reach out to you or learn more about the company and your services?
0: They can go to my website. It is DCA Virtual. The first letter is D like dogs, C like cat, A like apple, and the word virtual.com. Super okay. easy. They can schedule an initial consult with me there. They can send it in the contact form and we'll get back to them. So very easy to reach me there.
2: Great. Yeah. And we'll get the links right here. So they can just click on it. No big deal. And we'll be right through. So I appreciate the time. Appreciate the the insight. And really, like I said, the, the wisdom on both sides are right there. I, I thought it'd be a, an interesting perspective there saying you're You're on both sides of that relationships.
0: No problem. Jeff, thank you for having me on the show. I appreciate it.
2: Thank you.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Building to Scale podcast. If you would like to share your entrepreneurial business growth story, please visit buildingtoscale.com slash guest. If you got something out of this interview, would you do both us and our guests a favor and share it on your social media accounts? Don't forget to hit subscribe in your player so that you don't miss any future episodes and make sure to reach out to Jeff Chastain on any of the major social media networks or check us out at Admentis.com.